Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. First Thessalonians. Um, we're actually going to read from verse 2, just to get context. Hear the word of God to you this morning. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's where we pick it up. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Paul says some very bold things to these brothers and sisters in the faith, this young church that was, was very, very uh, young. And that had been left. Um, he had to leave after three weeks of preaching in the synagogue on Saturdays. Many came to know the Lord. Some uh, Jews came to know the Lord. Some uh, God-fearing Greeks. Some prominent Greek women. And then uh, there was such persecution because of that, if you remember, that he had a, they had to sneak him out at night. And so this church was without their leaders for quite a long time. So Paul was very concerned about them. He sent to find out about them, Timothy. And when Timothy came back with his great report about them, um, he saw that they had uh, faith, hope, and love because he saw their practice, right? Their work of faith, their labor of love, their endurance of hope. And so he makes this bold claim. He says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, what? That he has chosen you. Now, how in the world can any human being, even if it's an apostle, make such a dogmatic statement? I mean, what amazing evidence was there that, that Paul could say with certainty, you are among God's chosen, hand-picked people? That's a bold statement. I mean, was Paul given some inside information through a vision that Jesus gave him? Did he hear some audible voice? You know, some people, why I bring that up is some people do look for mystical signs. You know, they're always chasing after signs and visions to see if they're right with God. Well, I have a, I have a neat story. My professor used to love to tell this story um, that might help you um, understand why signs aren't going to cut it in terms of trying to figure out whether you're truly a Christian, if you're the real deal, if you're genuinely 
a follower of Christ, a child of God. And it's a story about a guy named John Smith. Very common name in our country anyway. And he was having a difficult time gaining the assurance of faith, the assurance that he was truly one of God's children. And he lived constantly in a state of uncertainty um, where his soul would be upon death. And he was always uh, scared about that, not knowing. And so one day he fell into a deep sleep. And he had this incredible dream that there was this huge book. And the book was opened up. And a light came from heaven. And the light shined upon one name. And, and on the front of the book it said, Book of Life. And the name that was, it shined on was, guess what? John Smith. So man, he, he woke up that morning feeling awesome. He said, I know that my name was written in the book of life because I saw this awesome vision and my name was highlighted. He did all right for a few minutes until the horror hit him. Which John Smith? And that's kind of the point. The point is, it's not, we don't gain assurance through visions or through signs. But instead, there are some Telltale signs, Paul basically is going to tell us this morning. There are telltale signs whether or not you've been, you can know whether or not you've been chosen by the sovereign grace of God. Imagine that. This morning you're going to walk out here knowing how you can know if you're among God's chosen people. That's pretty powerful. And we're going to see these signs. This is what the message of our text is. There's so much in this text. But I am refraining myself and just trying to focus on the main points for us this morning, which I'm sure you're very thankful for. And uh, this is what we're going to see in the text. The Apostle Paul gives three telltale signs that the young church in Thessalonica were loved and chosen by God. And they're the same signs, by the way, we can look for. And these are the three signs that we're going to open up in detail. The first is the way the gospel came to them. He could tell because of the way the gospel came to him. That's the first one. The second one is the way the gospel was received by them. Not only the way the gospel came, but the way that the hearers received it. So the one end is on the preachers. The other end is on the receivers. And the last thing he points out, which is just a telltale sign that they were indeed the, among the chosen people of God, is the way that the gospel rang out from them, both in word and deed. So they couldn't contain the good news in word, and their lives were, were, they were so deeply converted and rooted in the gospel that all the ancient world around them in Greece heard about this incredible conversion to Christ, this incredible model church that all other churches, you can hold it up and say, that's the church we want to be like. We all need models in our lives, right? Kids look to sports figures. You know, we have our own... Uh, folks that we like to look to and here we have the biblical inerrant model for all of us to kind of see measure ourselves up against and here at New City um, and as I we look at these verses I want to see I, I want to say I see encouraging signs here it's a good thing all right so let's take a look at the first one the way the gospel came to them look at verses four and five for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, in verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So here's the first thing. 
we got to see here. And that's this. Conversion is of God's free, sovereign grace. It gets real quiet, doesn't it? That's another way of saying that is God is God. So if you've turned from your sin and you've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation and you no longer serve idols but you now serve the living God, you have one person to thank. And that's God. Because God in his mercy, the hounds of heaven were on your tail. And they didn't give up till they got you. And what's interesting here, you know, I, I listen to com- uh, sermons, I read commentaries, and, and sometimes people say things like, you know, this is a controversial doctrine. There's actually, there's no controversy at all. From Genesis to Revelation, we learn that God chooses. God chose Israel. God chooses his elect from both Gentiles and Jews throughout the Old and the New Testaments. But here's the interesting thing. So the question comes up, on what basis, listen, this is important, on what basis does God choose who he chooses? Well, we know two things. It's not much, but we know two things. One is, it's not because of anything in them that's good. Or not, they're deserving. Because God even had to warn Israel, I didn't pick you because you're the greatest people, trust me. And don't, don't worry, us Gentiles, we're worse than them. So it's not to pick on the Jews. Um, at least they had the right God. Uh, but the second thing that's important to understand is then what is the basis? You know what the basis is? His love. Simply because he loved us. Why do you love us? Hey, I don't know about that. I ask myself that every day. Why would you love me? There's plenty more out there way better than me, Lord. But it tells us, clearly in this text, brothers loved by God, chosen by God. You look in the, in, in the book of Ephesians, for instance, where he says, before the foundation of the world, he chose us, what? In love. And it says, in that passage I'm referring to in Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 10, when it says, I didn't choose you because you were more numerous, but God chose you because he set his affection on you, because he loves you. Further than that, my brothers and sisters, the Bible does not go. You know, someone once put it this way. I think it's attributed to C.C. Colton, but he says this. He that will believe only what he can fully comprehend must have a very long head or a very short creed. And this comes, the older I get, in all honesty, the more I realize how deep the mysteries of Scripture are in many places and that I just will not fathom certain truths. doesn't mean they're not truths. It just means I'm finite. No, I can't grasp that God is three persons in one essence. I can't. I can't grasp that Jesus is both God and man, not 50-50. He's not Hercules. He's 100% God, 100% man. Now, this little pea brain goes, mind blown. And the fact that God sovereignly chooses who he will, and yet we still have human responsibility, I can't fully comprehend it. But I believe it because God says it. But what really gets interesting, well, let me, let me give you one illustration that might help you on this. And I promised I would mention the Chronicles of Narnia illustrations. I have to do that today. But um, it's when at the silver chair, okay, and uh, Jill and Scrub, and they're in the real world, so to speak. They're in our world. And, and all of a sudden, the, the, their, a bunch of kids are chasing after them to persecute them and pick on them. They're, they were being bullied. 
Anybody relate to that in our culture? They're being bullied. And so she starts talking to Scrub, Jill, because she's never been to Narnia, but Scrub has. And she says, hey, what about this, this magical land that, that you always talk about? H how do we get there? You know, do we, do we like do a circle on the ground and light candles? And Scrub says, no, nah, that's nonsense. Aslan would only laugh about that. He goes, maybe we just, let's just try calling them. And so they call out to Aslan, and they call out to Aslan, and then there becomes this opening in this gate, and they get to go through, and, and the, I'm going to tell you the whole story, but then they land in Narnia, and of course, Jill gets separated from Scrub for, for reasons you can read the book about, but then she meets Aslan, the lion, who represents Jesus in the book. And they have a, quite an exchange, some really neat things happen, but I want to focus on this one thing. He says, I have work for you to do. That is why I called you into Narnia. And she says, oh no, there must be some mistake. You didn't call us in Narnia. We called you. Sound familiar? And Aslan goes, my child, you would never have called me if I had not called you first. <laughs> but what gets interesting here is the, the, the solid, what, what gives Paul the solid reason to say that about these particular people that he knows they are among the chosen people of God, loved by God in Christ Jesus. And that's really the million dollar question that really matters is how can we know? And, call, and Paul says that secret election of God can be known and here's how I know it about you Thessalonians. And so we should pay attention to these signs these uh, telltale signs. The first one is the way the gospel came to them. And notice what he says. The gospel did not come to you simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and in full assurance, or with deep conviction, depending on how you translate that last phrase. And I want to say something real quick before we jump into that. Notice, Paul, it, the gospel does have to come with words. He didn't say, you know, there's this old saying that people attribute to Francis of Assisi. And when I, when I dig deeper, I found out he never said it. And as an Italian, I said, praise the Lord. People have been misquoting my, my boy. And, uh, you know, this whole quote that says, preach the gospel always. And if necessary, use words. I'm so glad to hear he never said that. It's a whole idea of you don't have to preach. You just have to live it. Don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. Just live a good life. And the point is here, yes, that's true. We're going to see in a moment, you better back up your preaching with godly living. And that's what the missionaries did. They lived exemplary lives for the Thessalonians. And when the Thessalonians repented and believed the gospel, they lived exemplary lives as well of faith and repentance for the other churches. However, what I want you to see is here, here is that the words have to come. You know, I remember when I was newly saved. You know, when a lot of us, when we're newly saved, they tell us, why don't they lock us up? for a year because we're just so zealous and we go around telling her we beat everybody in the overhead with the Bible well I, I couldn't help but share the gospel with everybody you kidding me I was rescued from hell you kidding me after all the things the horrible things I did Jesus shed his blood for me and I got to tell other people they can escape the punishment to come if they come to Christ and so of course what happens you go out and you tell everybody and I remember when I did that at the restaurant, my manager took me aside 
and said, why can't you be like, more like so-and-so? He doesn't bother anybody. On his break, he does his little, reads the Bible, and then he never talks to anybody about Jesus. And I said, I don't think that's what this means. And by the way, I didn't preach to like, the customers and stuff. I would speak to other waiters, waitresses, managers, cooks, and only when we had downtime. So it wasn't like I was just, you know. But, of course, people could talk about the party they went to. They'd talk about who they slept with. They could talk about anything like that. And that's cool. But as soon as you start sharing, I've got to tell you about the person who saved my life. So, no, it came with words. But here's the important thing. It didn't just come solely with words. Hugh Palmer puts it this way. Our gospel came to you not only with words. is different from saying it came to you not in words. So, of course, it came with words. But notice how it came. It came, what does he say, with power with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. In other words, the Holy Spirit was in it. You know, when it comes to Paul and his missionary companions, this is important to know on the preacher's end, he preached with assurance. He actually believed what he preached. Now, I remember when I was, this other story just came to my mind. When I was in Baltimore, um, I, we had really close friends, and they had their parents finally came to church. And they had heard the senior pastor, and they heard me speak. And they said, you know, I, I, I like the, uh, the, the senior pastor's fine. But, man, that, that younger guy, it's like he actually believes what he's saying. And I thought to myself, wow, that's an awesome compliment. You know, out of all the things they could have picked, I'll take that. You know, how many pulpits today... Well, you know, one person, this view says that about this passage. This view says that. and Well, this might be. That's not preaching, brothers and sisters. Again, there are some things you have to say. If you don't know, you just say, I don't know. But the gospel is not one of them. The gospel's clear. And he's, we're going to see that in a moment. And so when Paul preached and his fellow missionaries preached, it was an event. The Holy Spirit was behind it. It was powerful. And that's very convicting on our preachers then because how many times you know we come to the pulpit we should expect that the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in your hearts I come every Sunday to me by the grace of God I'm thinking somebody's life can be completely changed and for those who already know Jesus they will be sanctified by this word so I am expecting you know I think it's Spurgeon that says I can understand somebody sowing his whole life and never getting to see the fruit but what I can't understand is how someone could be content with that a preacher. And then Paul says, he, they didn't, the way they lived among the, the, the um, Thessalonians, they didn't just come with the word and in power and in deep conviction, but he says this, you know how we lived among you for your sake. In other, in other words, they did back it up. They did live what they preached. And, and the reason why Paul had to bring that up is because in Paul's absence, all the enemies of the gospel were trying to throw some shade on Paul and the other missionaries. In other words, if this Paul was such a great godly guy, how come he had to take off in the middle of the night? If this, you know, he's really coming just to kind of fill his pockets with your gold, now he's taken off. And what Paul has to remind them of, look, when I was with you, did we take anything from you? No. We came to give. And, you know, I say this, it's, it, I want you to see this to know that we love you here and we're here for you. Pete, myself, and Dave, we raise our money to be here. 
We're here for you. And we want you to know that. And I'm not a sh- Paul wasn't ashamed to say that. Paul said in another context, I robbed other churches so that you couldn't say I came to get something. For-. I remember we were doing something in Busby Village. And um, I think we wanted to do the Christmas store there. And the reason for the Christmas store, it, we, we get these new gifts and people only have to pay a little bit um, of a price so that they have the dignity of providing um, Christmas for their kids. And then that little money goes back into the pot for Hope so that Hope can keep doing this. And someone made a comment from the community to another community member, oh, they want to make money off us. And I'm so thankful one of the other community members said, that's a lie. They have only come here to help us. They've been good to us, and they love us. So the way the gospel came to them, but the second thing, and it's even more powerful, is the way that the gospel was received among them. Look at verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So, rather than the gospel bouncing off of them, which happens, unfortunately, on a number of occasions, Paul says, I know that you're chosen by God because when the gospel came to you, what did you do? You received it. And notice how you received it, right? It says, with deep conviction. What kind of conviction? Conviction of their sins. Believing God's declaration that what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of, the God, of God. They believe that. But they also believe what with deep conviction? That Jesus is the Christ. And that salvation is found in the name, only in the name of Jesus. That not only that he d- died and he rose again, but guess what? He's coming back to take us home. And so what a great sign that they were truly among God's chosen. What's the sign? Is that you repent and believe the good news. For real. In other words, what the Thessalonians did, and listen to this, they did it in the midst of suffering. In other words, it cost them. Because by receiving Jesus, they received the ire and the persecution from their friends and neighbors. It's not in a culture like ours today. You see, you're a Christian. They say, yeah, whatever, who cares? Back then... It cost, and it does in other cultures today, too. If you're in a Muslim land, you say, hey, I'm going to convert to Christianity. We know those stories. And you know conversion is real when it costs something like this. It's cheap grace sometimes to just say, yeah, I believe. I always think of Pilgrim's Progress. Christian in the book of Pilgrim's Progress. He was Pilgrim, and his name was Christian, became Christian. He st- when he heard the gospel from the evangelist, he was, he was leaving the city of destruction. He put his fingers in his ears and yelled what? Life, life, eternal life. In other words, I'm not going to listen to the arguments of friends and neighbors who used to be loved ones but are trying to convince me to turn back. Because as Jesus said to his disciples in John, are you going to leave me too? And all his fair-weather disciples left because his teaching was too hard. Remember what Peter said? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't look back. They welcomed the message. They let it take deep root in, in their hearts and in their lives. And here's the thing. Only a true work of the Holy Spirit could withstand such suffering for Christ's sake, even when all your leaders have gone. 
And so Paul says, man, I was worried for a while there, but I've heard this report. I've seen the Spirit's work. You're the real deal. Be, be encouraged by that. You're among the chosen. I could tell that you were chosen in eternity because you received the gospel in, spirit, in, in space and in time and really received it. I like what Newman Hall once said. He said, the opposition which assails us in the course of obedience is no evidence that we are mistaken. See, because people would say to them, you know, you're going through this rough time. You must have the wrong God. And actually, here's the irony. That's more proof that you're serving the right God. Because remember what Jesus said? The prophets also, the true prophets, were persecuted and killed. It's the false prophets that were always happy and got away with everything. Right? So they treated the prophets before you. How'd they treat our Lord? They give him a grand welcome. It's called nails to a tree. The apostles who came after had to slip out after three Saturdays. He had three Saturdays of preaching, then he had to sneak out because they wanted to kill him. No, the Holy Spirit's handiwork was evident all over the new converts' lives. And notice what he says. They, received, they had the joy that only the Holy Spirit gives. Remember this hymn? It is well with my soul. This is after this. The man who penned this had his, all of his children die in a boating accident. Only his wife survived. And he wrote this um, after the event. My sin is well with my soul is the name of it. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. God has taken care of your greatest need. Anything else in this life that's good is gravy. It's whipped cream. And anything that's bad doesn't compare, Paul says. The suffering in this world does not compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Back then, we're going to be like, I mean, when that comes, we're going to be like, I told you. I told you. And unfortunately, some people are going to have to say, you didn't listen. And so Paul says in verse 7, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Let's look at the last thing that's a telltale sign, then we'll close up for this morning. The last thing Paul points out that he shows that they have definitely were God's chosen people is this. The way the gospel rang out from them. Not only did they receive it in power and the power of the Holy Spirit with deep conviction, but the way the gospel rang out from them all over the world, their part of the world especially, both in word and in deed. That's the last thing. Look at verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but all over. Now notice, well, you would notice, this, but in the Greek, the word, the Lord's message rang out from you, it's like a trumpet blast. Remember I told you about new converts? Bloom! It came out like... That's the way the gospel sounded forth from these Thessalonican Christians. Their conversion to Christ, their formation as a true congregation of faith, hope, and love, their enthusiastic reception and welcome of both the missionaries and their message 
the gospel became known everywhere. So here's the point. Listen, they received it, they spread it, they lived it, and they modeled it. Not only in word, but also in deed. And I want you to see what message it spread around about their faith. This is what, what, it said, what Paul says. They tell, in other words, others, I don't have to say anything because all these others who heard about your faith, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now listen, I got to preach. I got to preach. They made a clean break with their false dead idols, and they began to serve the living and the only true God. Yeah, you want to know if somebody's really chosen? Well, they make an actual break with those gods they used to worship, and they serve now. And positively, they don't just negatively turn away from false worship, but positively, they, be, positively, they begin to serve the living and the true God. And notice, they turn to God from idols. This is the thing. We can sit here and in our own power try to pull away from those things that grab us. As I like to say, good luck with that. No, notice what they do. They turn to God. When you turn away, you turn, as you turn, it's one motion. If you're, you're facing here, right, which is your idols, you turn to God, by definition, what are you turning away from? Your idols. You find the real thing, you don't want to follow the false thing anymore. Dead gods don't hear your prayers. Dead gods can't change your heart. Can't give you new life. It's all about finding new fellowship with God. So listen, in, the old, in, in these days, they had literal, physical idols. Like the goddess Diana in Ephesus that had a bunch of breasts all over her. She was a god of fertility, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. We won't even get into the things they did to worship her, right? But um, we definitely need to. But listen, we may not worship the God of fertility and the God of sex in the sense of a statue, but in our culture, we still worship the God of sex, don't we? And some of us, we are enslaved to it. I won't go any further. Some of us are enslaved to drugs. We took it that one time, and now it's hard to not to kick it. There's people in this world right now that are still chasing the dragon. Still looking for that first high they had. And they're destroying their lives because of it. And then, and don't pick on those folks. Materialism. You know, some of these squeaky clean people. Gold is their God. And someday it's going to sink them right into hell. If they stay with it. You know, you guys, I know you all love Star Wars. <laughs> But I got to be honest with you, I only like the original three. I'm sick of the new ones. <laughs> Done. But Yoda once said this when they were talking about how he could use the force to do something. And, and, and Luke goes, I'll try. Man, if that doesn't sound like uh, our culture today. And you know what Yoda says? Do or do not. There is no try. See, we got people today that think they can have a foot in the kingdom and a foot in the world. And here we see half-baked repentance won't do. One foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom isn't going to cut it. 
I remember I went to a neighbor's house when I was first converted, and I couldn't wait to tell him. Remember, I, for some reason, I'm remembering these things. And I went and I, I told her, the, the wife, I said, I, I, I came to know Christ. Jesus saved me now, and I go to church. And she goes, Bob, Bob, come here. I got to tell you, look, Santo goes to church now. And he, and he looked at me, and he goes, ah, a little religion never hurt anybody. And I said, yes, it has. It's killed many a soul. It's either do or don't do. You know, sometimes I don't want people to get this, the wrong idea about me. In my older age, I, I try to have more tact, try to have more wisdom. I don't buttonhole people and try to force them to receive Jesus. You with me? I don't just share the gospel with them and say, make the decision now. Because I don't want to go ahead of the spirit. I don't want to make sure they understand before they actually commit. Because it's a real decision. But that doesn't mean that I don't see the immediacy of the need for folks to turn from their idols to the living God. There's a heaven and a hell of a difference. Heidelberg Catechism 114 says, asks this question. Can those who are converted to God keep these commandments perfectly, meaning the Ten Commandments? Here's the answer. No. But even the holiest of men, while in this life have only a small beginning of this holiness, listen, yet so that with earnest purpose they begin to live not only according to some, but according to all the commandments of God. Wow. Doesn't mean we never fall. Doesn't mean we never mess up. But guess what? In other words, you can't say, hey, you know, I'm an, I'm an adulterer, but I don't steal. You know, I'm, a, I'm a compulsive liar, but I honor my father. No, it doesn't work like that. Right? True repentance, you begin to live according to all of them. Even though when we measure ourselves against Jesus, we're always going to look awful. Right? That's why we try to always measure ourselves against each other. You know, I ain't as bad as Mary on this. You know. Amen. And then I look at Jesus, oh. Or worse, I look in the mirror and go, ooh. Maybe actually Mary is better than me on that. So the Thessalonians, they were a flagship church. They were a model for other churches to follow. And so we have to ask, how do we know we've experienced the genuine work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And then we have to ask ourselves a question. Have we made that break? Have we turned from our old life to the true and living God? And are we now serving him? In other words, you really believe in Jesus. You believe he died for your sins. You believe he rose for you. You believe he's coming back. Then what, what, are, what are you going to see in your life? A change. A transformation. So I want to mention this. Notice you see three things here that, that uh, Paul points out. He says, you turned, Right? from idols you serve the living God and to what the last thing and to wait for his son from heaven Jesus who what rescues us from the coming wrath it's not a popular message it's not a feel good message I always remember that um, movie uh, Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood 
And the young kid is trying to deal with the fact, he was bragging that he killed all these people and he actually hadn't killed anybody yet. And then finally he does kill a guy. And then when he really actually kills a guy, he says to Clint Eastwood, it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. And he starts drinking whiskey, pounding, pounding down the alcohol because he started really feeling guilty and realizing how horrible it was what he did. And then he's trying to justify it and he goes, well, I guess he had it coming because the other guy was a crook too. And Clint Eastwood said something that I think is the most profound thing in the whole movie. He says, kid, we all got it coming. My brothers and sisters, there's only one person who can rescue you from the wrath that is to come. And there's no trial, no hardship in this world that would ever compare to the wrath to come. And Jesus rescues that rescues us from that and so we do two things while while we're here we serve which is active and we wait that sounds crazy doesn't it sounds almost contradictory wait a minute serve and wait how many people here like waiting you know like waiting rooms to me is like you know nails on a chalkboard you ever in the, you ever notice you go to the doctor they'll let you wait two hours you're five minutes late for your appointment sorry you missed it you still have to pay 35 what but that's waiting. But anyway, that's a whole separate thing. So you serve and you wait. So here's, I am closing. I'm going to land, I'm going to land the plane right here. This is the neat thing about the stop. John stopped pointing this out to me. It's not original from me. When I saw it, I thought, yes, John, how did I miss this? But the important thing is this. Why do we have to wait for the Lord Jesus to come? Think about it. Because in this world, we're never going to have paradise. We're never going to bring utopia in. As much we pray for Atlantic City, and that's the other side of it. The other side of it is we wait for the perfect heaven to come, new heavens and new earth, because that won't come until Jesus comes to rescue us. But in the meantime, we don't just twiddle our thumbs and say, oh, well, the, hell, the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. What do we do? We work. We still work to be a light in a dark place. We still work to be salt in a rotten society. So brothers and sisters, when I look out and I see your faces and I see this congregation and I see my friends, I see great signs of God's love and God's sovereign choice as I see you turn from the things that used to have you captive and in bondage and I see you now serving the living God to the glory of Jesus who saves us by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And you know what? We thank you for the third person in the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who apart from him, we would never receive the message. We would never believe the good news. We would never have the power to turn from evil and serve the holy living God. And so we thank you for that his powers at work here among us. We pray more and more, Lord, that we would uh, have our lives conform to the good news, that others, not only in Atlantic City and Egg Harbor and, and further out in New Jersey, but literally, Lord, that the faith that you have given us would, would ring out all over and people would give the praise to you because all that we have done, you have accomplished. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory as we wait for him to come back. Amen.